Ride Party people. Today's episode is a new little thing we're going to call Below the Hotline. We got a hotline number and it is 424-272-6640. It's 424-272-6640. We'll also put the, the number in the show notes where you can call and leave a voicemail. And I will start to answer these voicemails in shorter episodes that we put out each week called Below the Hotline. So with our first one, we've got a voicemail here ready to go. And we'll see how these this little experiment goes. I, I, we rarely know what, uh, what, uh, what we're doing here. So if this doesn't end up being interesting, well, then I'm going to sell this episode as an NFT um, because it'll be in limited edition for all the listeners that would bid it up to cents for sure. And speaking of NFTs. What's up, James? This is Adam from Seattle. Uh, just had a question. Adam, what's up? Seattle, what's up? Uh don't know if you're an expert, but uh, can you explain to me what NFTs are? I'm seeing them all over twi- Twitter. People are buying NBA highlights for like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Memes are being sold for thousands of dollars. Is this something that's here to stay, uh, Is it, or is it just a passing fad? Do I have to get in on this? Uh, please explain. Thanks. Bye. All right, Adam from Seattle, thank you for the call and for this inaugural below the hotline episode where I will try to answer your question in uh, under 10 minutes. NFTs, non-fungible tokens or nifties, they are here to stay. And I'll, I'll answer your question um, in two parts of what are they and are they real? Are they here to stay? Uh, what are they? Non-fungible tokens. Within cryptocurrencies and uh, the crypto space, you essentially have Bitcoin and Ethereum as the two leaders, the two leading currencies. Bitcoin is primarily for store of value. It's kind of the money in the crypto space. Ethereum is more like a protocol like HTTPS, where you would code a website on the protocol of HTTPS. You could code a decentralized application on the protocol of Ethereum. And Ethereum is is primarily where nifties or NFTs, I would bet that nifties end up becoming the uh, the name that people use. Ethereum is primarily where uh, nifties are are being built on, but you could build it on Bitcoin Cash, you could build it on uh, a handful of different um, a handful of different crypto uh, blockchains. But Ethereum is primarily where nifties are built on, and they are think of it like a digital collectible. So you mentioned here, you mentioned uh, buying NBA highlights. There's also a whole company uh, built around essentially digital trading cards that will probably expand into more things. Um, You also have a journalist from the New York Times selling his column literally this week on uh, on the blockchain as a non-fungible token. Um, I'll call them nifties from here on, but the reason it's called non-fungible is because many crypto tokens can be parsed out and partitioned fractionally over and over and over again to where bit one Bitcoin could be sold for uh, one one thousandth of a Bitcoin, one one hundred hundredth of a Bitcoin. 
For a NFT, what is unique is that it cannot be split out. So if you own the LeBron James digital uh, NFT card, that can't you can't split that out a hundred or a thousand times. So that's why they get the name um, NFT or Nifty, as the nickname is 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 uh, is going. So you could also sell anything digitally. You could sell an avatar. You could sell a piece of artwork digital artwork, you could sell a meme, you could sell anything digitally with a NFT associated with it. Um, there was a piece of artwork, digital piece of artwork bought by this guy Beeple that, uh, or sorry, created by this guy Beeple that uh, sold for $68 million. And so that's what an NFT is, or nifty is, what, is it real? That's kind of, um, a lot of noisy things will happen in the technology space and few of them matter 10 years later. Um, and I would actually say that these are going to matter a lot in 10 years. And the reason is you can tie a, you can tie a number, you can tie a token to something that people want to collect. And in this case, digital, digitally collect. And you can actually tie that token back to the creator through 10, 20, 30, 40 purchases or trades down the line, the creator themselves could get an actual portion of each payment, which really incentivizes creators. Let's say an artist makes a piece of digital art and you're, the questions that come up are, well, um, why would an artist want to want to create digital art? Well, they're already creating the digital art today. There are amazing digital artists out there. So they're already creating it because it's visually interesting and it's a really cool uh, medium for artists to work within. Then it's why would anyone pay a lot of money for that original? Well, the same argument could be said for you can get the same visual um, appreciation, visual information in, in your mind right now if you got a print of the Mona Lisa but a lot of people want the exact first copy of something. So you could have the, uh, the exact same imprint on the eye from a phenomenal, phenomenal reprint of a Rembrandt that you have in your home. But obviously the art world has shown us that people really want to own the originals. So that also extends. You have the artists that want to make that art that already are making that art. Then you have the desire to own the original of that and a strong desire by a community of collectors that want to own the original. And then you have this additional thing that does not exist in the real world, the physical world today, which is the ability for the artist that's making that art to get paid every single time there's a change in hands. You can actually construct within the token a... Um, a situation where the artist could make 1%, let's say 5% of every sale from then on. And that's a really strong incentive for artists to start dabbling in this medium and the digital medium even more, because then they can make 5% on every subsequent sale. Uh, in fact, we've got an episode coming up in a few weeks with, um, with a very well-known art collector, and we're going to talk about the art world, art world 101. And one of the interesting things that I've learned in the art world is that the artist will sell 
for maybe $30,000 a piece of art that they know could get $500,000 on the market because they don't want to essentially get ahead of their skis, sell for 500, and then the next year it sells for 400. So there's this artificial, um, artificial decrease in the price so that it's always optically going up for collectors to buy art that is moving from 30 to 50 to 80 to $100,000 in price. That means that that artist gets 30K when they first sell it, knowing that someone will buy it for four hundred dollars or $500,000 in two years, perhaps. And in the digital realm, in this nifty world, that artist can then make money off of every subsequent sale. And 10 years from now, if it becomes massive, then they can get 5% off of a $10 million sale. And you compound all of the previous transactions and they can make 10, 20, 30 times what they would make on that piece of art if they release a digital piece of art with a NFT token um, assigned to it. Same thing for LeBron James and his digital card. That digital collectible, a portion of it can go to uh, the creator or, uh, or in this case, the athlete. That doesn't exist. So it seems strange. It seems weird. It actually reminds me a lot of Bitcoin and, and crypto 10 years ago, where it just seems superfluous. Most people, I was building a payments uh, company at the time. And so I really saw underneath, you'd lift open the hood and moving money around the world in 2011 was really messy and it was all duct tape. And it was uh, so absurd to actually see how money moved digitally that when I saw a Bitcoin, I was like, whoa, this is uh, a revolution on all of the, all of the margins that, uh, that currently seems like it's all duct tape. This is built for uh, money in the digital age. But to my brother, to friends, it just didn't seem like it was that big of, a, of um, an innovative, innovation leap. But slowly but surely, 10 years later, we have had uh, almost the whole world start to come around to, okay, this digitally native version of money is actually pretty important and not superfluous. It might not be the greatest thing since sliced bread, but it's certain, certainly a step up and a quantum leap in how money could, could move um, internationally. Still doesn't primarily move through cryptocurrency. So it is not the reality yet but at least people are taking it far more seriously than they did 10 years ago. I think the same thing is happening with nifties where people are kind of laughing at it as if it is um, this thing that's a trend and it's probably going to go away. But those three things, two things that, that map to the real world where collectors want an original and people are already making these things. Um, there are some phenomenal digital artists out there and this allows them for a, whole new revenue stream, a whole new uh, chance to monetize on their creativity that didn't exist before. And it only exists digitally. And those three things, when you line them up, I think is, is going to present a really compelling argument for these artists, for these creators, for musicians uh, to do more in this digital realm and to tie these NFTs to their works of art and, uh, and their collectibles. So hopefully that answers your question. Adam from Seattle, and feel free, anyone listening, and feel free to shoot over any question that you have that the podcast covers. Anything at the intersection of entrepreneurship, technology, and philosophy. The number is 424-272-6640. Until next time.